Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Capital Yarns podcast. My name's Sean Costello and uh, on this podcast we have uh, audio readings of my short stories, always set in Canberra and always featuring three items nominated by readers via social media. And this week we have the short story, The Eyes Have It. This resulted from a request from Liz who requested three very Canberra items. Uh, no Lights, No Lycra, Loading Zone and The Balcon and Owl. I was tempted uh, in this introduction to take you through just why those items uh, are so particular to Canberra. Um, and some of them, uh, to be fair, have been inspired by some really interesting stuff Melbourne's been doing and, and Canberra trying to take a little piece of that. But I think the yarn, hopefully, even for those out of town, uh, gives some of that background to why items such as Loading Zone and the Owl Statue are so Canberran. So why don't we go ahead and listen to the story. You'll see that um, the music of No Lights, No Lycra plays a real part in this story and there is a Spotify playlist available with the show notes uh, and on my website where you can go and listen to some of the great Canberra music that's discussed in this yarn. Thanks to uh, Canberra band Trouser Trouser and local artist Sam Whitmore for both agreeing uh, for me to use their music in the yarn you're about to hear. Thank you too to Susie and the guys at the Falling Joys for letting me use the wonderful locket. Hope you enjoy it. It's called The Eyes Have It. And I should say, if you have any small children nearby, there is some explicit language in this one. Simon closed her eyes and tried to relax into the music. She loved this song, Locket by the Falling Joys, an oldie but a goodie. She tried to let the music wash over her, feel the rhythm move through her mind, clearing away the jetsam of the day. I really like you, she quietly sang to herself as she danced. Some of the debris was clearing, but the music and dancing wasn't working as well as she would like. Usually, No Lights, No Lycra was the perfect antidote to a bad day. The concept had appealed to her from the first time a friend described the experience in Melbourne. A dark room, a great playlist of music, and an opportunity to sway and move to the music however you chose, without the fear of judgement from those surrounding you. When the event had come to Canberra, she had eagerly joined in and had participated at every night she could finding the event a great way to wind down after work. But today the clutter was remaining belligerently stuck in the forefront of her mind. The persistent knot in her stomach was a testament to that, along with the flashes of the day's events which kept coming before her eyes. Memories of her sitting across from James in the tiny interview room at the police station. She could still feel his piercing blue eyes boring into her challenging her to dispute his claims, even if it was amongst the most bizarre things she had ever heard. Telling you, miss, they're all linked. They have to be. Why else would the government pay to build them? She had paused at that moment, struggling to find the right words to use in response. Robert, her first boss out of university and senior partner at Mallison's Canberra, had warned her that she was a tough cookie and would be a one hell of a lawyer but she just needed to slow down and think about how to address the clients. Now at Legal Aid, she had an entirely different client group, 
but she could still hear his words ringing in her ears. James, no matter what reason you had, you are charged with criminal damage, attempting to break the statue like that. But he had interrupted before she could finish, proving she had not chosen her words carefully enough. He leaned forward across the small desk between them, making her feel even more cramped in the tiny room. You're not listening, or you're calling me a liar. I had to do it. I had to know how they're connected. They all have eyes. Why else would they have taken the owl away the first time I found the door? She took a deep breath and tried again. James, even if the government moved a statue because of your theory, we still need to figure out what I'm going to tell the magistrate at your hearing. You refused the original psych assessment, but we could try again to... No, I'm not crazy. I'm trying to tell you what's going on. She didn't pause to consider her response this time, and probably should have. James, the public art you're talking about is, or or was, funded by the ACT government. But the agencies you accuse of using it are within the Australian government. It just doesn't make any sense as to why... You're not listening! His eyes were wide with rage. I'm sorry, James. James paused for a moment, staring at her, and then slowly leant back in his chair, apparently placated by her apology. He closed his eyes for a few moments and took a deep breath. For a moment, Simon thought he had gone to sleep. At last, he opened his eyes, a look of complete serenity on his face. It was such a contrast to his behaviour of moments earlier. A brief smile touched the corners of his mouth as he spoke. The eyes have it. You just don't understand. But the eyes have it. He had refused to talk to her after that, and she somehow found herself hours later, back at the office, trying to make sense of what the interview meant for his defence. In particular, whether she could make any use of the Google search on the history of the owl statue in Belconnen in front of her. The eight-metre-high owl cost $400,000 and was commissioned as part of the government's then Percentage for Art schemes where a small amount of Capital Works budget went to constructing public art. The sculpture had been created by Bruce Armstrong out of wood, steel and fibreglass. All very interesting from an artistic point of view, but not that useful to defend someone accused of damaging it. Even less useful were the online discussions about how the owl resembled a large phallic symbol. She discovered countless other artworks had been funded by the scheme, and spread through parks, shopping centres and roads of Canberra. These included moth ascending the capital, a bogong moth complete with eye-like wings, bursting into flight. The Other Side of Midnight, a whimsical dream-like collection of a doll and accompanying dog statues, and the head of Alfred Deacon in three phases. All of this seemed mundane, even if the artwork had proved controversial. Certainly Simon could find no reason or evidence or even hints as to how James had reached his conclusions about the various pieces being linked together to create some sort of network of intelligence-gathering devices. The champion of the scheme had been John Stanhope after all, famous for, among other things, his stance on human rights. She tried searching for Canberra conspiracy theories, but only found some crackpot writers musing on underground tunnels linking the national institutions, 
apparently part of some secret emergency network or storage centre. She leant back from her computer and tried to take stock of what James had said. Surely googling weird theories about Aunt weren't going to help her defend him. He needed to have a psych assessment. Still, she found her mind drifting back to the pictures of many art pieces that she had just researched, particularly the owl. There was something hypnotic about its eyes. Eyes? Hadn't James mentioned something about eyes? At that point, she had glanced down at her watch and realised the time. She would have to leave work immediately to make no lights, no lycra. She paused, considering if she could stay behind to continue researching. It might even make her feel better. But she had missed the last three NLNLs, and she had promised herself that this time, no matter what, she would attend. And Cameron might be there. Now here she was at No Lights, No Lycra, swaying to the sound of Trouser Trousers Sunday. This really was a great mix, still thinking about work. She was also wondering if Cameron was amongst the many bodies swaying around her. Simone had arrived just as the lights were dimmed and so hadn't been able to seek him out. Resigned to work dominating her thoughts, she tried to concentrate on those majestic eyes of the owl sculpture to see if that would release some of the tension from her body. Whether those eyes did have hypnotic power, or it was the impact of the next song, The Church Is Almost With You, she felt the knot in her stomach releasing and her body moving more smoothly to the tunes. For a moment, she felt she might slip into the wonderful zone, apparently only possible when she was at no lights. When the world would slip away and she would become oblivious to virtually everything, even the music, except for the gentle swaying of her body. But when the next song commenced, an obscure track from the band she had seen live in the uni refectory years ago, Crumpets Queenie, her muscles tensed again. This was too good a mix. It included all of her favourite songs from her iPhone's Canberra playlist. In fact, they may even be in the same order. Could someone really have put such a list together? In the same order? If her memory of her Saturday morning run was correct, the next song should be the Lemonheads version of Mrs Robinson. The song always stood out in the mix, as its connection to Canva was somewhat more tenuous to the others, based solely on Nick Dalton's stint as a bass player in the band. She had almost put a Red Hot Chili Pepper song in there, but claiming the bassist Flea as a Canberran based on family connections and a holiday home in the New South Wales town of Congo was probably a Bateman's Bay Bridge too far. As the familiar combination of drums and guitar rang out to commence the Lemonheads version, she tried to continue dancing, despite the trepidation growing in the pit of her stomach. Surely it was possible that someone would put together the same mix of music. Perhaps it was a sign from Cameron. But how would he have access to Simone's iTunes? She tried once more to relax into the music. There was nothing she could do about it now. And if this was indeed the same playlist, there was only one song left. That would settle it. The next track was another favourite local rarity by a young guy she had found on SoundCloud called Sam Whitmore. 
the chance of someone adding that as the last track of this mix was virtually impossible. If that was indeed the next track, someone was messing with her. As the song commenced, it was clear someone was doing precisely that. She ceased her dancing, now determined to act. She would wait for the lights to come up and march up to Lucy and find out who had set out the night songs. However, by the time she reached Lucy, some of her anger had dissipated and she felt a little silly. Um, Lucy, any chance I could find out who did tonight's playlist? Lucy put down the earphone she'd been holding and turned to face her. Oh, hi, Sim, she said. Mystery playlist, I'm afraid. Not even I know much about them. Why do you ask? Oh, it's just... Simone paused, wondering what she was going to say. Perhaps after a day spent speaking to a man with potentially a mental illness, she was now convinced someone had stolen a playlist from her phone and played it at No Lights, No Lycra. What's up, Simmy? She turned to find Cameron's handsome face, covered in a thin film of sweat, smiling back at her. Shit, she'd totally forgotten he would be here. That, in point of fact, only one hour ago she had been hoping he would be. A flush of hot embarrassment came to her face as she struggled to compose herself. She hoped the lights were still dim enough for him to not to notice. Oh, hey Cam. She hoped she sounded cool. Just, you know, um, asking about the playlist. I know, wasn't it great? I haven't heard a trouser trouser in years. Simone turned her head slightly to look at him more closely. You didn't have anything to do with it, did you? <laughs> I wish I had. It was great. Sim, I'm happy for you to look over the list, if that would help, Lucy said, interjecting. Maybe you can make sense of this last entry. It was supposedly a song, but we couldn't find it anywhere. Simone looked down at the piece of paper Lucy handed to her. It confirmed her worst fears. Here were her 18 favourite Canberra-related songs in the order they appeared on her mix. Youth Group, Falling Joys, 78 Saab, Doug Anthony All-Stars. Staring at them typed out neatly made it feel even more disconcerting. As Lucy had suggested, there were 19 tracks listed. The last was one she had never heard. Loading Zone, Owl Breakfast Tomorrow. It was apparently a long track with a running time of 8 minutes 30 seconds. Loading Zone, Breakfast, weird. Cam peered over her shoulder. Sounds like a date, except for the owl bit anyway. Loading Zone is a cafe in the city, yeah? You asking Simmy out, Cam? Lucy asked, smiling. Simone and Cameron both simultaneously shuffled awkwardly at the question. <laughs> no, no, of course not. Yeah, I mean, Lucy, the man just said he didn't do the playlist. Not that I, that I wouldn't, you know. Cam's face was turning red. No, yes, of course. She paused, considering what he had just said. I mean, would you? <laughs> Lucy laughed. I'll leave you guys to sort it out. But yeah, I drew the same conclusion, 
if you leave the hour reference out, looks like someone is having breakfast at 8.30 at Loading Zone tomorrow. Simmy stared down at the paper. There was only one conclusion. The owl reference wasn't meant to be removed. It was the most critical piece of information. It told her the message was for her. Still, she wasn't sure if she was doing the right thing when 12 hours later she was seated at a table outside the Loading Zone Cafe. Cameron had offered to come with her, but sit away so she would peer alone. There was a steady stream of workers coming in for pre-work takeaways, while three of the other tables around them were populated, with various workers and tourists enjoying a hearty breakfast. They had arrived at 8.20am and walked into the laneway separately, but none of the other patrons seemed interested in either of their arrivals, and so they had taken seats and begun to wait. She found the cafe an interesting choice for a mysterious, if not secret, rendezvous. Seated at the table, she had a good view of all those exiting and entering from the entrances at both Alinga Street and London Circuit into the Odgers Lane loading zone, from which the cafe got its name. The cafe was one of the first to try and put some of the laneway vibe of Melbourne into the capital by reclaiming long-forgotten parking areas of the CBD. Simone had to admit she liked the concept. She had been excited at the excuse to see more of Cameron, and while last Saturday night's exchange had been awkwardness squared, it had at least suggested he might feel the same way. They had enjoyed a more relaxed exchange as they met up in the Civic Interchange and walked together towards the cafe. You've done the local politics round at the paper before, yeah? Cameron nodded. Yeah, actually, I'm back on it now. That's why I could meet you. I'm covering the assembly for a few weeks while the usual guy has leave. How come? What do you know about the art scheme Stanhope started? Cameron smiled. I know it was controversial. On a few fronts. Some people just didn't like the idea of such large sums of money being spent on public art. And others didn't like that art was being created at all. But really, he was never going to win on that one. By definition, any halfway decent art isn't going to be universally loved. That's what makes it interesting. I think the government eventually abandoned the scheme due to public pressure. Just, it's a real shame. I I like some of those pieces. What do you think of the owl at Belconnen? Cameron paused to consider it. Mm, It's not too bad. I quite like the way it greets you at that intersection. I think my favourite are probably that windmill in Woden and the uh, angel wings in Tuggeron. Oh, and that moth with the eyes in Canberra. The eyes. Always a reference to the eyes, she thought. Was the Australian government ever involved? She asked. Uh, I don't think so. It was an ACD government thing. Anyway, not that I heard. Simone paused before asking the question she really longed to have answered. Would Cameron think she was mad? Something about the whole situation was really getting under her skin. She barely slept last night. She didn't know if it was some gnawing doubt about James's guilt, or at least what had motivated him to supposedly damage the sculpture, or perhaps some deeper feeling there was more to that owl. Those eyes now seemed burnt into her mind's eye, never far from the surface. She took a deep breath and phrased the question the best she could. 
I've got this client who is up for criminal damage. He reckons all those artworks are part of some secret government conspiracy to spy on us. Ever heard anything like that? (laughs) I've never heard anything like that before. There are those crazy theories about Anzac Parade being a runway for planes, uh, linked to secret tunnels under the city or something. (laughs) Yeah, I found that one too. That conversation was 20 minutes ago, and now here she was, sitting alone at a table, waiting for... She wasn't sure what. Just as she was about to stand up and leave, she realised a man in a pinstripe suit and black tie was walking briskly towards her. He didn't break stride as he passed her table, and it took her a moment to realise he had dropped an envelope on her table. When she looked up from the table where it had landed, he had disappeared. Cameron left his table and came over. Did you see where he went? No, I looked down at what he had dropped and when I looked back he was gone. What is it? Simone picked up the envelope and examined it. It was A4 sized and blank, except for two eyes that had been hand drawn on the outside. They looked eerily like the eyes on the photo of the owl she had just seen. She opened it to find a single sheet of white A4 paper. On it were written two words in red ink. Stop digging. A wave of emotion passed over Simone. She found herself feeling simultaneously scared and angry. After a brief internal battle, anger won out. Fuck you, she thought. Fuck you for scaring me. And fuck you if poor James is innocent. What are you going to do? going to see this sculpture for myself. All right, but be careful, okay? It was clearly not the answer he had hoped for. This is a bit strange to say the least, and it appears you've seriously pissed some people off. Who knows what these guys are capable of? Cam, my client might be innocent. I don't know what this message means, but it suggests he was on to something. Maybe it's time you involved the police. Can't tell them what. A man with a suit delivered me a cryptic note and he likes the same music I do. Cameron screwed up his face and nodded. All right, I've got to go to work, but call me later, okay? He put his hand gently on her arm. She liked the way it looked there. Sure, yeah, that'd be nice. Thirty minutes later, she was standing under the large owl sculpture, cars whizzing all around the intersection that surrounded her. She could see nothing out of the ordinary on the sculpture, although it was an imposing statue so close up. She certainly found no hint of a door, as James had described. She looked into its deep eyes. These are what had fascinated James so much, and she found herself once again drawn into their hypnotic quality. She suddenly became aware of movement behind her and turned to discover the man in the pinstripe suit running towards her. We told you to stay away. We have no choice now. He grabbed her arm and she felt something being thrown over her head and everything went black. At first she was desperately panicked as she felt herself being shunted into what felt like a car or a truck. But then the grey darkness reminded her of no lights, no lycra and she closed her eyes and tried to imagine herself back there aware of nothing but the sounds of distant music and the gentle swaying of her body, and the eyes of the owl. 
Slowly, she entered again her trance-like state of the night before and became oblivious to all that was happening around her. Some unknown time later, she became aware of the covering being removed from her face. She looked down to discover she was wearing a smock. It was the same smock James had been wearing at their interview. She looked up and found Cameron sitting at a small table across from her. Are you okay? She paused to consider the question. Where, where am I? The hospital. They're just uh, running some tests. You know, just see how you're feeling. You've said a lot of things, strange things. They're worried about you, your mental health. This is the most lucid you've been in a while. Simone, where were you? I was worried sick. I thought we agreed last week that you'd keep in touch about all this stuff. Last week? She looked at him confused. That's the last time I saw you, in the city, when that guy in the suit appeared. Do you remember that? Had it really been so long? She searched her mind. She felt so different since then. A different person. She knew so much now. But it was as though that realisation had come to her in an instant. The law. James. Even Cameron. Oh, none of it mattered now. So, Simone, are you okay? A gentle smile touched her lips. She looked back at him, feeling nothing but pity. I finally understand. What James was talking about with the owl. With them all. The eyes have it. You just don't understand, Cameron. But the eyes have it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, as I said, um, there were some uh, great references there to recent and not so recent uh, Canberra indie music. And there is a Spotify playlist available with the show notes and on my website where you can uh, hear exactly what Simone was listening to while she was dancing at No Lights, No Lycra, which is a lot of fun for those that haven't tried it. Um, a growing movement and um, something we've done uh, with the kids as well. Uh, it really is a lot of fun. Thank you too to Susie and the guys at the Falling Joys for letting me use the wonderful locket right at the start of the story. Really set the scene for the yarn. You can learn more about the Falling Joys, which first formed back in 1985 uh, and after a bit of hiatus uh, are back together again now at fallingjoys.com or Susie Higgy, the lead singer uh, also has some solo material available and there's more available at suzyhiggy.com as well. A reminder that you can contact me via Twitter, Facebook, using Capital Yarns as the username. Uh, also, lots of details about Capital Yarns, the book, Capital Yarns, the zine, where you can buy those around town and online, is on my website at www.capitalyarns.com.au and, of course, you can also use... Uh, that website to request your own story just nominate three items and uh, i can write you a bespoke yarn set in canberra that you might hear on this podcast or read online 
the zine with all proceeds going to charity and the book are now uh, both available from the Great Handmade Markets store in the city uh, as well as Muse and Paper Chain and a range of other retailers that you can see online. Um, so exciting news. Love the Handmade Market store and the Handmade Markets that happen every quarter here in the city, another growing Canberra institution. Thanks to Hashimoto as always for supplying the theme music for the story. You can hear more of Hashimoto's great music at Hashimoto.com. Sam Whitmore is is on SoundCloud underscore Skarma underscore, and I'll have links to both of those websites in the show notes and on my website. Uh, You can always get those show notes via iTunes, SoundCloud, or the website, depending on how you like to listen to your podcasts. Uh, And until next time, let me know what you think of the podcast. Let me know what you think of the stories. And we're back shortly with another podcast, probably in a couple of weeks. Uh, We might even try and do one for the kids. See you then, and thanks for listening. Listener.